0: ski industry and um, legitimately we can call it the ski show as at least one of us has been skiing in the last few days days yes um the podcast is sponsored by switzerland tourism why well it's because uh, they have some of the best skiing in the world um and they know that dedicated skiers listen to the ski podcast so of course it makes perfect bedfellows um did you know there's three 208 mountains over 300 3000 meters um in switzerland um, 24 of them, are over 400,000. So no wonder they've got such good skiing. Um, and an unrelated fact, which I quite liked Ian when I was researching this, is that uh, um, Switzerland is the second only country to have a square flag.
1: That is a good stat. Um, I hadn't really considered it, but um, yeah, okay.
0: There you go. I, you're, this is the point where you went meant to go, what was the other one, Jim? Do you know? Oh, um, Vatican City. It is correct. Well done. Um, the podcast is hosted by me, Jim Duncan, and alongside me, you've just heard it voice is the co-host of the podcast, Ian Martin. How are you, Ian? Yeah, I'm. I'm good, but I'm already jealous because you said just then. I think that
1: you've been skiing in the last few days. Uh, how did you? How did you manage that,
0: Jim? And where did you go? Well, hold on, Ian. You're interrupting the, the strict format of the show here. I meant to do the bit where I say, don't forget to contact the show. You can find us on Facebook, um, uh, get on Twitter at The Ski Podcast. Um, you can email ian at the theskipodcast.com or go onto our website, theskipodcast.com. And um, that's what I was meant to say, Ian. You can ask me that question in just a minute because also I've got to say coming up on today's show is that uh, we've been skiing. Someone's going skiing. there's virtual skiing and skiing down under. Um, ian, any questions for me? My
1: question was, you just said you've been skiing.
0: Where was it and what was it like? Oh, well, I've been to Leida's Alpe, um uh, Make sure I didn't get that confused with um, Alpe as I've done several times. Fortunately, not on the journey there, but it's not that far away, so that's good. Um, yeah, it was great. Um, I've got to say, I was very excited when I got there um, to just go skiing. It's been a while since I've been Yeah. Um, there's obviously, you know, when you get to a glacier, what's it going to be like? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? I've obviously skied there before, so I kind of knew. But the snow, I'm pleased to say, was really good. Okay, Um, great. It was genuinely... Do you know, I'm going to come away from it, I'm going to say it was a memorable experience, which is a a positive thing. Sometimes you go, you know, you you have the experience, and, you know, uh, it wasn't that... It was good fun, but it wasn't fully there. But I think because of the amount of time that I've been away from... Skiing, yeah. yeah. Oh, come away, gone. That was great fun. Hey, can I ask a couple of specific
1: questions about it? I, I've skied in Lady out on the glacier in summer before. My recollection is that you have to start pretty early in the morning. You have to you get up there early, and there can be quite a queue at the bottom of the uh, the, the the cable car, the gondola out of resort. Is it was it like that? Um,
0: Eight thirty is when the the lift open. Um, So, not as early as some, but the lift journey actually up to the glacier in Dazalp is only about 25 minutes, and you don't have to change lifts, unlike um, most other glaciers that I've skied on in the summer. Um, The queue, interestingly enough, obviously, we're talking this in a COVID era, um, looked massive. And there was a slight delay on the opening to the cable car. So, when we got there, we got our lift pass, and it looked like there was this huge queue, and it was going to take ages. Um, but it turns out it was really swiftly executed. Um, they they have been loading people onto their cable cars um, by holding them in uh, a large area at the foot of the walkway up to the cable car, um, and been doing it in the style of um, uh, a Brittany or PO ferry queue system. So you'd all pile into one queue, and then they pile up the next queue, and okay. then the next queue, and then they allow the queues to go into the cable car and then slowly do it. So the the cable car is not running at full capacity in terms of how many people can go on it? Um, There was no queues. I don't don't think there were, it didn't feel like there was a huge amount of people skiing. But, you know, uh, the lady at the tourist office said that she actually believes there is an increase in visitors.
1: Really? Mm. Okay. Uh, because you get a lot of race teams up there. Did you see a bunch of a uh, bunch of them? Maybe someone yeah. confused you
0: for someone in the British team. Yeah, there's lots of race teams. Um, I did get stopped, asked my autograph, and some tips. Um, yeah, I've got a recognizable face. What can I say?
1: And what about you? Know you had to wear masks in on all the lifts. Is that right?
0: So yeah, I was surprised about this. Um, uh, I experienced this two weeks ago when I went mountain biking here in La um on the lifts. And, you know, I've got used to coming out of confinement, you know, supermarkets and everything, very lax enforcement of masks. I think, like, the second day I went to a restaurant, um, which was more uh, a convenience thing rather than something I did out of um, uh, a celebrationary purpose. But everyone seems to be quite lax uh, about that, except on the lifts, which right. I find, you know, there's, there's a certain irony in the fact that we're being really controlled in the lifts so all the time in the queue you must wear your mask Um, and then when you're on the lift um, specifically like the cable cars were enclosed with other people you should be wearing um, a mask Um, you know you slip it down when you're on the drag lift but they're really enforcing it there is people there are proper mask spotters making sure you are wearing them within the ski lift system as soon as you hit a restaurant bar there's there's less uh, there's less yeah. enforcement but i mean it's interesting so i sat in on a couple of
1: webinars this week and uh, one of the webinars was from france Montan, and there are a number of people there someone from uh, company des alpes uh, and someone there from uh Les and they are both saying that um because the um uh, the lift system is classed in effect as public transport um they don't need to have any social distancing on on most of the lifts but you do have to have you know wearing of masks is compulsory and uh you know that was a point they stressed so that therefore if you're looking to this winter one of the concerns was that possibly there would be a reduction in the number of um uh lift tickets available on a on an individual daily basis and it you know it doesn't appear like uh, you know that would be the case from what they're saying they're saying you know lift passes will be for sale and um, it's only going to be cable cars and specifically mentioned the Celia cable car in, in
0: Courcheval, but gondolas and chairlifts, etc. no social distancing required. Interesting. I mean, it didn't feel like social distancing was necessary to be enforced, but then it's only a metre, um, which isn't really that far, is it? There's no one, there's no hugging and kissing. I didn't, you know, randomly snug someone in the queue. Um, and, uh, and the queues for the drag lifts, you know, they felt like, um, you know, the standard, Getting your skis bashed from behind, you know, <laughs> felt quite comfy, and they're all t-bars. There was no one really getting sharing a t-bar with someone they didn't know, I don't yeah. think. And there was an occasion where um, I queued, up, so I queued up for this lift pass and this um the cable car to get up. There's Jan, the Jandri, isn't it? The Jandra. yeah. Up, up, and got to the, I got to the turnstile, did a proper um, tourist move um didn't beep through wasn't beeping took it out tried to wave it and the woman (laughs) was like it's the wrong resort you've got the wrong resort I double switched my pass right so I'd gone I must I was over um compensating on which lift pass I should have and I put I ended up putting my Leclusa one back in um which was very yeah well
1: given the number of ski resorts that you skied in overall last season uh, you can you can see that sort of thing um would be uh you know could happen yeah Perhaps, so, so what my
0: point was though Ian, there's, oh. i went when i was getting on there because obviously it was someone else but they've gone off um i was about to get on i was waiting oh, as a single person to get on to the uh the cable car and this guy just turned around and said no i don't want you on my lift really yeah and you know i he had <laughs> some kids with him I, I understood but it's hard to it's hard to um uh, kind of give that polite understanding when your your face is covered up you've got a helmet on it's just your eyes and you know, I've got fairly um, miserable-looking eyes, so he probably thought I was really pissed off with him, <laughs> but I wasn't. Okay. And um, the skiing itself,
1: then, uh, what I recall about Lidozalp is actually, you know, a fairly decent ski area, the summer ski area there. Uh, where, if it's all uh, open, and if you're saying the snow is quite good, then you know it's not not bad at all, is it?
0: Oh, it's cracking skiing, and I'm going to go. I'm going to say I know this. I do this every time? Ian. I'm going to say it's my favourite glacier to go and ski on. Um, I right. still haven't been to Lax, and I haven't been to, um, uh, what's the one in Kaprun and Neustadt? Um Yeah, Kitzsteinhorn. Steinhorn. Something like that, yeah. I haven't skied those ones, but um, I've done a fair few. And currently, this is, I'm going to say this is my favourite. It feels, it feels good and fun. There's a great vibe. There's a really good vibe there. And okay. loads to do after the skiing as well. Okay, uh,
1: well, well, That um, as I have skied on the Glacier in uh, Ladies' Out. But I haven't skied on the glacier in Sass Bay, where, where you have been, but I will be doing so in, um, well, around a week's time. I think a week today I should be uh, uh, there, because um, like you, I'm going to have a, uh, a tester uh, of what um, skiing post-COVID is like, and like yourself, I was out in Switzerland uh, when lockdown over there came in, in Andamata at the time, so... Um, yeah i'm looking i'm hoping to get uh maybe a couple of days on the in Sasfe and maybe one in Zerma if i'm lucky uh as well and um, we'll, we'll we'll see whether that zermatt uh, bit works out so have you got any tips for me for sasfay
0: um see, it's quite a quiet village in the in the summer um not quite as um intense as say Teen or uh, desalpus as well um so just you know, chill out i think with uh, Desalp, I didn't, I put my boots on in the car park and got up. I didn't think it was really an unacceptable amount of time to be sweating with my ski boots. But I think you know with SAS and Zermat, definitely um, go up with your ski boots um, with you and wear some comfy trainers up there because it is a uh, it's quite a quite a hefty journey and there's a lot of places to get changed.
1: Okay, that's a good tip. You mean from the resort, so you don't put your ski boots on until you get to the top?
0: Yeah, wear them all the way up in. Um, with sas get that when you're early it's a lot colder than i think there's out because it doesn't get the sun because it's in the it's in like um set into the mountain um uh, it's a bit more um intense and eerie in a way and um, and the the pieces are a lot harder um when you first get in so that first little slide when you get down there and you're being overtaken by all the racers and stuff <laughs> as you go oh, i've been skiing for six months um okay. is a is a little bit challenging but um once you get there it's good fun it's uh,
1: right uh, it's okay free. there's
0: not much there is a park there it, well
1: the fact that you're saying it's a bit quieter and maybe there aren't as many bars and the fact there isn't a park or, or you know those sort of things aren't going to affect me i'm, a, a, I'm pleased
0: to pleased to say so I do, I do believe that um they are there are marmots in Susfay that um, are very um, friendly with humans and they're quite fat and you can actually go and feed them and stroke them.
1: Yeah they have marmots in Zermatt as well in fact um, there are so many marmots in Zermatt there's actually um, a lot of debate as to whether or not they should cull them. Have you ever heard about that?
0: I've never heard about marmot culling. Yeah
1: um, there's there's a...
0: What what risk do they pose to the public to need to be culled?
1: Well, I think they're destroying uh, because they're right in the town. You know, they've uh, as more and more people have been around, they've uh, developed more. Uh, they uh, around the town, they dig up people's gardens. They, you know, you're classed more as uh, as vermin, and uh, so they've had to try and control the population. You know, they're damaging buildings as well. You know, they can dig below retaining walls. Um, I think so.
0: So, I, think yeah. the, I think the marmots would have a strong argument that um, they were there first and actually it's the humans that should be culled because their natural habitat has actually been tarmacked and right. now they're being told that they can't be there. OK,
1: well, if, if I end up in a conversation with any locals about that, I'll, I'll put forward your view that uh, maybe they should be culled
0: instead. Yeah, that's it. I'm advocating human culling. Right, um, uh did you want to know anything more about Sasway? That's uh, I
1: can take you more. Uh, no, or... um, I did come across. That, you know, I was thinking about you know Switzerland, as I often uh, am, and I was at Arosa. I was doing a bit of research on Arosa in summer, and I noticed another activity. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to fit this in on on my trip, but um, they have a bear sanctuary in uh, Arosa, uh, where you can go and and well. Visit the uh, bears from Serbia and Albania. It says they're from. Is that is that something you'd ever want to do? Do you think? Have you ever seen any
0: bears in in the wild or any bears? I've seen some bears this morning. Have you? Yeah. On uh, the website you sent me um for the bear sanctuary in oh uh wherever it was you said it was. Um, yeah. I can look right. at one right now. They've got a really good array of webcams. There's a bear there. Look. Yeah. So you don't even need to go there to have a look at them. Is that what you're saying? um I, i'm not sure depends if um you're coming from this from the point of view of switzerland tourism or me me being <laughs> flippant
1: yeah well i reckon you know uh the kids would uh would love that so possibly on another trip we'll uh we'll try that one
0: what's the best animal you've ever seen in the world
1: i wish i could say i've seen you know a wolf uh live um and I know there are lots of them in the Alps, although maybe if I had, I would change my mind about that. Um, but Bukata, I've seen a Bookata while I've been trail running in the Chamonix area. And, you know, that's a, an impressive uh,
0: animal. We saw some of them the other day and there's quite a few tame ones around here. Like I've got a photo of my um, children being like um, two metres away from it as it just chilled out and followed us along this footpath. Right, um, you know, And I did some climbing
1: the other day um, and it was a very Swimming with Dolphins moment. They came along and climbed the rocks with us. Right, okay, cool. So La a place to go if you want to do a bit of that. Um, have you come across this, well, the new ski show? We had Rob Stewart on like a few episodes ago. I can't exactly remember what number it is, but obviously I'll put it in the uh, show notes. Is he not coming uh, back today? No, he's not coming back today, you know uh we talked to him about the new london ski show um now that has changed the plans for that have changed uh, slightly have you seen what they're doing now
0: i have seen what they're doing now um uh first of all i think um dave burrows is going to be annoyed because it looks like they've stolen his logo um but uh well, okay Let, let's tackle that i wonder where he took his logo from let's be honest right the logo
1: it looks very similar to a lot of logos. It looks very similar to the Chamonix logo. Are you familiar with that one?
0: Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and evidently, Dave Burrows. Uh, I'll have to have a look at that. Re- remind me uh, the name of his. Watch, uh, you know, he, he's just had a new one done. So you won't be able to find his old one. Right. Um, um, he um, knew this was coming. Are there, are, 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 is the ski industry
0: just full of uh, logos that are made up of a little mock-up of mountains. It would make sense um i mean if you just uh, look at the name of a company there's like a website i mean it's the same as us here we just put the ski podcast into some sort of uh um, ski generic um uh, company generator uh yeah. it crunched the numbers we could have had the podcast about skiing the ski podcast alpine <laughs> podcast the action super ski podcast but we just went for the ski podcast so yeah. they come up with at least nice, a mildly original sh- uh,
1: name for their ski well, show. their logo is very similar to several others, but it is now called uh, the world's largest ski show. Now, I have a particular point about this, is that there's, uh, there's no use of the apostrophe in the word worlds, and that irritates me. I'm probably not going to go because of that lack of an apostrophe.
0: I mean, I'm going to go because I want to see Norris McGuerta there, um uh, adjudicating <laughs> to prove that this is the world's biggest ski show um hopefully Roy Castle and Cheryl Baker will, will appear as well um, <laughs> Roy castles still alive uh, I think uh, I think not I mean I think I hope Cheryl Baker is yeah well yeah I
1: should he think was you... face I, um hey, sorry. the the world the world's largest ski show they were going to do a ski show um at uh, the snow center, but yeah Covid this and that etc um decided that you know it's too difficult to try and arrange something like that when they didn't even know when it was going to uh, open and instead it's going to be a massive uh, zoom or virtual uh, event and the way it's going to work is as far as I can understand it, it's actually being launched um to uh, the UK industry next week is that you know if you remember the public you can get free access to a bunch of things or you can pay a little bit more to get access to more things uh, and they will be webinars by people and you'll be able to kind of possibly possibly have one-to-ones with different resorts, you know, maybe. Um, Do you have um, any idea of pricing for this? No, I but when try. I spoke to Rob about it, I said to him, I thought it had to be priced really low because, you know, there's so much free stuff around virtually that, it. you know, I would have thought. Ten pounds would be the absolute most, and five would be a better price. But you know, I have no idea how how that works. I mean, I guess from the show's point of view, the revenue is twofold. It's like the public who might pay for it, and then you know, people within the industry who would you know pay to have a presence at it.
0: Yeah, like a standard show. I mean, it seems uh, I. I... I don't know. Once again, I feel like I'm the wrong person to ask about this Ian, because mm. I'm the sort of person that probably won't go to this mm. um, for two reasons. One, um, I feel like I could probably find most of this information out. Um, for me, going to the show is about the surprise of finding stuff, right? You know, mm. you can get into uh, you know I know you, you can virtually do this, but it's also about this social part, the interaction, the meeting old people that you haven't seen for a while. Um, and, you know, getting free stickers. I lost you, you. for a minute
1: there, Jim. Yeah, I don't
0: know. It kicked me out of the studio for some reason.
1: Okay, you were just telling me uh, you are about to say the reason you probably wouldn't attend is you like the social side of things.
0: Yeah, for me, it's like the physical. It's the physical part of going that I like, um, you know, going to see people, chatting to people, free stickers, having a drink, having the meat, you know, those other parts of it, um, I know I like discovering stuff, but um, and the physically looking at things. Like, for me, I'd rather go and physically look at a ski than just see it online again, because, you know, that's the sort, that's how I approach life as it is. And secondly, um, because it's not something I'm physically doing, I'm likely to forget. Like, I generally forget most things in my life that I'm not physically doing, so it'll pass, and i go, ah, I wish I'd gone to that. I mean, I'd like to go, though there's a webinar with glenn plake that'd be pretty cool to 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 dip into
1: yeah
0: <clears throat> and there's a few other you know interesting speakers I don't
1: know. yeah i mean i think you know because it's like something
0: relatively new it
1: is quite hard to to see yeah how it would uh, necessarily work but i kind of agree with you that you know you go to the ski show for the day you could see kind of you know everything and everything you want to for the day itself but you know i think I'll, I'll hold my my judgment back till i've heard a little bit more about how they propose that it's going to work
0: are you gonna have a store there in you are you gonna um well um
1: i don't know exactly how it's going to work i mean maybe maybe there'll be a, a podcast there but it's hard to see how that you know, we did talk to the show about doing a podcast. You know, in their um, in their talk zone, and you know, I I get that, but um, I don't know. Yeah, don't know the answer. But uh, you know, I'll be. I get the I'll, feeling you're a bit disappointed by this this um, ski show project. Oh, I'd much rather have something you know physical. Uh, you know, a show that you could go to would be would be much better.
0: But is day- a good alternative? Do you think it's worthwhile having? On the one hand,
1: I kind of feel I'm just over uh, Zoom and things like that. But having said that, you know, I attended two things, the uh, the 2 France, uh, France Fontaine thing today, uh, this week. And also um, I attended, this was a challenge. Uh, it was in French uh, by a company called We Like Travel. And they were talking about social media uh, strategy in different ski resorts. But, you know, that was free to attend. <laughs> And, you know, really interesting. I had a guy from Valtorense uh, presenting, um, a guy uh, from one of the regional tourist boards presenting, and, you know, I was free and didn't have to leave my living room. I do not have to, you know, go up to London for it. So it's less expensive in terms of time. And uh, I, think com- the,
0: I think the challenge here though, is that this is over three days and every day is different. So that's a long from ten to eight in the evening. That's a long time to try and encourage people to sit in front of their computers.
1: Yeah, well, no one's going to do that, surely, are they? They spend all day uh, doing that. They spend all day on a on a or look, too much of the day on a computer, and I've got work to do, so um, can't uh, can't do everything. But you know, next 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 week, I'll know a little bit more about it, and then we can um, we can find
0: out a little bit more. There we go. Good, good news. Um, uh, you said, Ian, that uh, next year, yeah, in a few weeks, you are going to South Spay, But next year sounds like it's going to be a bit trickier for you to get to the to the mountains. You want to talk about that? Are you so think, cross about it that you can't but can't bear to say it? Uh, no, because it's a, so you're
1: referring to the um, the cancellation of the direct Eurostar service. Uh, which goes from London direct to the Tarantese, to, uh, to Moutier and, uh, and Bourg Saint-Maurice. And, you know, that is, it's not just a shame, it is very annoying. As you know, I've kind of founded a campaign to try and encourage people to go to the Alps without flying. And this is the simplest way of doing it, to go out on that Eurostar, either direct during the day on a Saturday or overnight on a Friday. Um and, you know, there's a strong lobby group and there's a lot of work going on at the moment between you know myself and Daniel at Snow Carbon and um, Power Protect Our Winters in France and in the UK, where, you know, by the time this comes out, we'll have probably um, started... This open letter that we're getting people from the industry to sign, you know, whether it's resorts or uh, tour operators, et cetera, to send to Eurostar to try and start some dialogue to see if we can get it uh, reinstated. And there's a petition uh, online as well. So, yeah, that is really frustrating. But on the other hand, you know, I've been out to the Alps by train um, at least... I don't know, three times last winter and I didn't catch Eurostar at all, or, you know, that direct Eurostar. I just took the Eurostar to Paris and I took a train from Paris. And it's not actually that difficult, but I can appreciate that some people don't want to have to deal with changing a train uh, in Paris. But, you know, I only serve the Tarentez. And it's important. Lots of British people go to the Tarentez. Potentially, there's 20,000 people who travel by train you know, every winter. Uh, going out there, but, um, you know, you can't take that train and go to the southern French Alps or the uh, northern French Alps or Switzerland uh, uh, um, or Austria, for that matter, and all those services are still possible. And when I go out to, you know, Sassvay next week, I'm going out by by Eurostar to Paris and then uh, train from Paris to, to Basel. So it's not the end of the world, but it is really very annoying and I think hypocritical by Eurostar who claim that, you know, they're they're pre- presenting a product that can help people cut their emissions relative to flying.
0: Um, how far are you prepared to go to protest against this Ian? Is just signing a petition enough or will you be down um, uh, some St Pancras um, climbing on the top of trains and uh, we stopping have trains leaving? We have discussed some
1: activity at St Pancras, but uh We'll see what happens in in relation to that, but um, I'm not uh, I've not been too involved with Extinction Rebellion uh, yet, but um, you know I think uh, it'd be interesting because you know in terms of the, the French side of things, it has a big impact on the uh, economies down there, and they don't want more cars, you know, travelling down that valley. Which you know, if you take out twenty thousand people travelling by train. They're going to find some other way of uh, uh, getting there, presuming they still go to that uh, um, area. So, there's a, and there's a potential increase in in traffic and congestion. And if you've ever driven down the Tarantès as far as Baulxemariste on a on a Saturday during the season, you'll know that that's a big problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, get rid of the cars. That's what needs to happen in this area. It's insane. Like even where we are, like it's incredible the amount of vehicles travelling up and down. I and mean, it's absolutely unnecessary. I think. It could easily be tackled
1: better. Yeah, so so we'll see how that one um, progresses. Um, you know, can you can you get a big, you know, international company like Eurostar to change their mind? Uh, I don't know, but we're certainly going to going to try.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, Netflix still hasn't um, commissioned the third series of O A. What chance do you have in? <laughs>
1: <laughs> my opinion. And also, they were talking, you know, I think there's a big petition out there to refilm the last season of uh, Game of Thrones as well. But so far, that that hasn't happened yet either.
0: I'd like to see a petition for them to uh, reinstate the end of last winter season so we can see a bit more. (laughs) Um, But that won't happen either because God is not listening to anything I'm saying. Right. um, uh, Should we go down under now? What's that about? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I um, was lucky enough to. uh, interview uh, Rachel Oaksash uh, last week and in fact you can some of you may have already listened to that because uh, it went out live uh, on our, our uh, Facebook page and um, but you know she is the expert about skiing in Australia and New Zealand and I, I talked to her about about that. Okay, so um, we're uh, uh, live I'm delighted to uh, welcome <laughs> from the other side of the world uh, Rachel Oaksash who is the uh, the founder and manager of uh, snowsbester.com, uh, the go-to site for information about mm, skiing in Australia and New Zealand. So, hi, Rachel, from this side of the world.
2: <laughs> hi, Ian. It's very kind of you to say that I'm that go-to site. It's very kind.
1: Yeah, I think you are. What would Just remind me what the time is in uh, Australia at the moment.
2: Wine time. <laughs> it's, um, it must be, gosh... 5.30 in the afternoon but it's winter so it's dark
1: yeah yeah okay well you know if it was wine time for me that'd be a worry because it's only half past eight in the morning here
2: I, I and, thought you uh, might have actually had a beer with me
1: <laughs> although uh you know coronavirus does make me feel like that from time to time Journalist first and then you kind of segue to become a ski well, specialist you know skiing's not cheap
2: is it so if I wanted to become a better skier, I thought, "How can I do this? I'll um, become a ski journalist." And then I started looking into the stats for Australia, and <clears throat> not many people realise, but Australia is the number one international inbound market to British Columbia, to Utah, to Aspen, to Colorado, to Japan, to New Zealand. So all we we sometimes are in the top two with Britain, but we'll see. Um, as often it's with Brazil too, though. But um, so I went to the mainstream papers in Australia and suggested to them that there are, you know, at least 800,000 Australians that ski and snowboard. And there are, it's a, you know, a billion, multi-billion dollar industry in Australia, Mm -hmm. then the amount of dollars for advertising from these North American resorts, and obviously Japan, because if you've been to Japan, you might as well be skiing in Australia, except with sushi and um, a much more culture, obviously. (laughs) And, the, my editor said, yep. And I had two editors want the column and I ended up with Fairfax and we did a column called Snow It All for 10 years. And then I launched and this website.
1: Fairfax, to clarify for people over on this side that uh, they published newspapers like the Sydney Morning Herald. Is that <laughs> so right?
2: The Sydney Morning. I was in the Sydney Morning Herald in The Age, which is, I guess, like the Times you know, in yeah. London. Um, and uh, I had a column every week throughout the winter months, the Southern Hemisphere months, for 10 years. And then after Sochi, I launched um, Snow's Best.
1: And, we're, and your column there, because you, mm. you mentioned uh, Miss Snow-It-All, that is, your, that is your kind of title, yeah, Miss Snow-It-All? Well,
2: that's my moniker, as they call it. Yeah. Um, we started with at Miss Snow-It-All when I had the column. And so while I had the column, we were just, you know, social media had started, so we were building... I keep saying we, but it's actually me, but we yeah. were building, we were building the um, social media, the royal way. I know I'm funny, as not it? it's because I hate I like when I employ people or I employ contractors, etc. I want them to feel that they they have ownership of what they do and ownership of the site because snow, you know, skiing and snowboarding is a massive community that brings people together from all over the world. So, I'm really careful not to say my site or I. And I have this amazing girl that works with me, and she consistently refers to our site as our and we. And I love that. But I keep forgetting it's only me now. So, damn that 2020. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm rambling. Go on.
1: As the, as the expert there on, you know, Australian and New Zealand skiing, I guess you've cultivated that. And one of the reasons I wanted sure. to have you on yeah. is because, you know, for us over in the Northern Hemisphere, it's very, very interesting to see what's going on because, you know, although there are some glaciers open, yeah. there's not much skiing going on uh, yeah. in Europe at the moment. And in Australia and New Zealand, you know, skiing is underway. And I wondered if I could ask you about, you know, Australia okay. first, because okay. there are a couple of um you know issues there i mean for example um let's start off with you know how skiing is in australia now i mean what what kind of for the resorts that are open which are am i right in saying that's perisher and threadbo is that right? they're all
2: they're all open so Thre- all open. threadbo Perisher. well actually no No, they're not all open, sorry. Mount Buller opened and then it closed due to, we've we've got really, really, really bad snow season on top of the COVID crisis. Yeah, whereas the last three years, we've had a bumper powder season, like off the charts, just like skiing in Colorado, kind of. Um, But this season, we don't have that. It's Murphy's Law, isn't it? So um, Mount Buller opened, that's the one closest to Melbourne. Then they stopped selling tickets because they didn't have enough snow. Right. Threadbowl opened first, um, Perisher is open, Falls Creek and Hotham, these are Vale Resorts, Perisher, Falls Creek and Hotham, all owned by yeah. Vale Resorts, they delayed until the 29th of June and then they delayed until this coming Monday, the 6th of July, okay. um, and waiting to see if they're going to delay again, because there
1: is this current,
2: it's currently snowing, yep.
1: Right. Okay. But the resorts that are open then, do they have social distancing in place at present in the resort?
2: Well, it's been, you know, COVID has been, I think it's really interesting. The northern resorts have a lot to learn in terms of good and bad from what's happening in the southern hemisphere ski resorts. They'll certainly learn what not to do and (laughs) they'll certainly learn what to do, which is what to do which is not what to do right if that makes sense um I know yeah. it doesn't but that's um yeah look it's interesting uh, all six resorts chose to during the lockdown in Australia chose to have one uh spokesperson to speak on behalf of all six resorts around what was going to happen for the season ahead which was an interesting choice because every resort is very different and has very different messaging But once they were lobbying the government to ensure that they could actually open this season. So they all just shut down the shutters and went like inward. So then once the governments, then there were state governments, which were a bit of a problem. The state government announced that Victoria could open. New South Wales wasn't open yet. Then New South Wales announced it didn't give a date. And it was just a messaging cluster, really, to be honest. Right. So then what happened was Threadboat came out first and decided this is what they were going to do with their ticketing. Because you have to remember, you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who buy season passes. Because with the new model, the new business model being Vale Resorts business model of 10 years ago when they launched the Epic Pass. And then the Altera Mountain Company, of course, with the Icon Pass, is sell a ton of season passes at a much cheaper price. Um, And then give people access to ski overseas. Anyway, Australians ski overseas all the time and we're like North American experts, et cetera, et cetera. So um, Thredbo decided not to look after their season pass holders. They chose instead to go with we're going to refund. Well, they did look after them. That's incorrect. They did say we're going to do a refund. Everybody with a season pass is going to have their money refunded and everybody is going to have to buy a day pass, everyone, whether you have a season pass or not. And the day pass is going to be $159 every single day of the season, from the first day of the season to the last day of the season, regardless of whether it's peak, shoulder or spring. Right? Okay. Yeah. And everyone's going to have to go into a website and all together at the same time on the same day and buy tickets. Now, if you have a season pass, you were eligible for discounts. So that was a good thing. Um, uh, sorry, my phone's ringing. So I'll just let it ring out. So if you had a season pass, you're eligible for discounts. Let's probably throw on the line right now. Right now. <laughs> uh, You're eligible for discounts. Um, and if you bought 10 days, you got more discounts. If you bought 20 days, you got more discounts, et cetera. So they did look after, they were looking after their season pass holders in the best way they thought would work for a COVID season. You've got to remember... pandemic no one knew what was going going on no one knew what social distancing we had to have so they were saying we're going to operate at 50% capacity we can do that 50% normal capacity now at the time all of the resorts um or the government had all of these different uh restrictions on social distancing etc and how many people go into restaurants so they launched it their website launched and it crashed and it crashed yeah. for
1: 25 hours. I, 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 I read about that. And, you know, essentially, yeah. so, I mean, what, you, what I'm reading into this is that if yeah. you're a season ticket holder, you know, one of the most loyal supporters of the, of the uh, resort who'd be anticipating going out there, you know, multiple times during the season, then you're feeling yeah. sick by that resort. You aren't you? Yeah, you are. So, but
2: everybody does individual so,
1: tickets at 150 bucks a time know. yeah you know, like even if you get 10 days that's got to be way more than the cost of a season pass right
2: It's oh, a lot of money and it is way more than the cost of season pass however if you were a season pass holder and you did manage to get onto the website and you did yeah. manage to get your five days then log out come back and get your 10 days log out come back and get your 20 days you were you would be paying i think at, at one stage if you were going to spend like 30 days skiing at some stage over the season you would end up with like $50 day passes, right? Which is great, fantastic. But it's not its not really great. Like what they should have done, and everything's great in hindsight, is stage the release, right? Yeah. Ski, you know, um, season pass holders, 48 hours prior, just like buying concert tickets, you know, you're going to see, I don't know, Queen, and yeah. you're trying to get on Ticketek, and you, you, you're a VIP, so you've got 48 hours to get your VIP tickets first. Yeah. However, and we all said, oh, that's the way to do it. Now, unfortunately, Thredbo ended up on the news. They ended up front page of everywhere. It was the talking point of of Australia at one stage, um, which was quite a relief because we were sick of talking about COVID, but it was everywhere. And um, so I really felt for them because they have a new gondola this season as well. But, yeah, it was difficult because what also happened was when you got onto the site at midday, if you'd been on the site from 9am, they just shuffled everybody at midday. So if you'd known that they were going to shuffle everyone at midday, you wouldn't have been waiting since 9am. The other so problem was...
1: For three hours and then lost their place in a queue?
2: Oh, people were waiting for a long, lot. Long. Oh, yeah. So if you're waiting three hours... So I had two devices open. Um, at midday, I got shuffled to number 1,000 and number 13,000 because you were shuffled, right? And that was the fairest way to do it. Now, if everybody knew that was happening, they wouldn't have been sitting on there before. But the other problem was the system they chose was a system that Kmart uses called Queue It. Anyway, Queue It would keep, like, if you go on, they cookie you, right? So they take your cookie, yeah. you've left and gone, oh, I'm not buying a ticket, but you're still in that queue. So you look. it looks like you've got 30,000 people waiting, but you don't. She's Got a whole lot of people that jumped in to have a, a nosy because it's the first resort to stay
1: there, there, as you say, for the northern hemisphere. If by chance you know, ski resorts this winter decide that you know they need to uh, restrict the number of people on the slopes and they think about how they're going to sell those tickets, because what you, observe, you have to think about that the way Epic Pass is sold and Icon Pass is sold, a number of resorts already in the northern hemisphere have sold season passes, for example, a Port de Soleil ski area. Yeah, which crosses uh, France and uh, Switzerland. Yeah. We're selling part season passes at a discounted rate because, like a lot of people, there's you know there's a business advantage. They'd rather have the revenue in early, uh, and 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 give them some kind of you know cash flow continuity. But if they get to that situation where they then you know discover that they've got to limit people on the slopes, they need to have you know a way of selling those passes efficiently.
2: Well, this is the problem, and you've got to feel for you've got to feel for Threadboat because they had to operate at 50% capacity. They had to know exactly how many people were going to be on that hill at a time, and now because there's no snow, that number has reduced even more. Now the things that they have been doing, it's kind of like there's one square meter by one square meter of snow, but their social distancing is 1.5 meters, so really, just you know, really hard. So what they have been doing, Threadboat, and hats off to them, is they have been going to people that were skiing on particular days since the season has started and giving them 50% refunds, et cetera, because the snow hasn't been great. It's been a disaster um, in terms of brand damage. They want to get that brand back and good on them. The other problem, of course, is that even if you had staged your tickets, which is what Vale Resorts Australia have done, they then came out later. And trust me, these guys always come in first. So it was interesting to see them sit back and watch what was going on and then go, well, let's see how we're going to do it. So they staged it. They decided they were keeping the Epic Pass. And we have a pass in Australia called the Epic Australia Pass, and they were yeah. keeping that, right? But they were keeping it. However, if you were an Epic Australia pass holder, you had to register the days you were going to be there up until July 13. After July 13, they believed there would be enough terrain open for them to be able to maintain social distancing with, enough, with all the Epic Pass Skiers, etc., plus the one-day ticket people. Now that's because Veil Resorts have exceptional data, like they have amazing data. It's basically their life and their business, so they're able to figure that out. So they staged, and then they staged, and even staging. And they started with tickets for people that didn't have Epic Passes first, um, and they they range from one hundred and eleven to one hundred and seventy dollars a day, depending what time of the season you were going, and it still crashed because right. the demand is so high. And then when the Epic Australia Pass came in, they've got three resorts here. So they went, okay, let's stage that. We'll do Falls Creek first. Then six hours later, we'll do Hotham. Then six hours later, we'll do Perishaw. It still crashed. So right. really, I guess the message for everybody in the Northern Hemisphere is start your IT and serve bandwidth issues now.
1: Yeah. Now.
2: Because a disaster
1: i think there's obviously a lot more resorts in in europe but equally yeah. you know with the volume of people going it is uh better okay could, could we turn to new zealand uh, it, and it seems mm-hmm. to me that, um, apart from the fact that australians are not able to go there at the moment um the situation seems to be you know much better in new zealand because as far as i can uh see um the resorts have uh you know had car drainer and treble cone open like uh in the last week or so and uh uh, Mount Hutt open before, in fact I got a picture of uh, Mount Hutt I think, uh, from their yeah, opening day. <laughs> yeah, they, um, you know they don't have any social uh, restrictions at the moment, you know they're uh, opening to full capacity, um, am I right well, in thinking is, that?
2: Yes, but New Zealand have it easier because they were at level one by the time they opened. So prior to that,
0: Paul yeah. Anderson
2: from NZ Ski and Bridget Lignawski from Wayfarer that own Cardrona and, and TC and John O'Dean up at Ruapahu, they were doing exactly the same thing that our ski resorts were doing, and that was campaigning and lobbying their government to ensure they could have a ski season. So they were lucky that um, by the time the ski resort the ski season came around, they were actually at level one, which meant there were no restrictions whatsoever. So all of that work that they would put in. Yeah. All of the work they put in really didn't matter because they're back to to operating normally. However, they're not because 50% of their market in the Queenstown Southern Lakes area are Australians and we can't get there. So Remarkables is opening on only weekends and Treble Cone opened but they didn't have enough snow so they closed
1: again. There was a lot of talk about the trans-Tasman bubble you know for quite some time because you're saying how important uh, you know Australian yeah. tourism is to those New Zealand resorts uh, but at the moment it kind of feels like that might not happen at all this this season for you
2: well you know everybody was very very hopeful that the trans tasman bubble was going to happen in July and that's what we were all being told by all of our you know people in the know in tourism bodies and and you know tourism Travel agents, basically, because travel agents want that. Of course they do um, Yeah. And we all, and the funny thing is, isn't it, is that one when your borders are closed, you've never wanted to travel so much in your life, right? Just because somebody's told you you can't go, you want to go. The trans-Tasman bubble has been agreed upon by both of our prime ministers. However, it right. has to be perceived as safe for both sides yeah. of the Tasman. In Australia, we have premiers of different states that have sovereignty, so they decide if the border's open or not from their states. At the moment, not all of our borders are open, but I believe that New South Wales should be allowed to go straight to New Zealand um, and vice versa, but I live in New South Wales. Um, And Victoria's just had some spikes of community transmission of COVID, so that makes it difficult. I still believe and I still hope that September, it can happen because the ski resorts in New Zealand are hoping for Australians, for the Australian ski holidays, school holidays yep. at the end of September. But by then, the Australian ski resorts will be desperate for us as well. And it's really hard because you look at the, you look at Thredbo, you look at Mount Buller, you look at Bell Resorts. And Mount Buller, by the way, they chose to look after both their pass holders and people that are already booked accommodation. So if you booked accommodation, you got priority on getting your lift passes, which was huge. But then no snow and you've just you know like it's just you basically you just want to shut up shop really everybody just want just just leave just shut up shop can we start again can we hose it all down can we have the proper winter um so yeah i hope that the trans and bubble does happen i hope it happens in september
1: in terms of the a uh covered the impact would I be right in saying that the the impact on New Zealand resorts is greater than on Australian resorts because Australian resorts don't tend to get many international visitors but no, the New no Z- we do not rely on that Australian traffic.
2: Look, I think you know like the Australian resorts I believe are trying to run at a break even to profit because uh, they certainly wouldn't want to be running at a loss. The yeah. New Zealand resorts are trying to do the same, most slightly break even. Without the Australian, um, Australian contingent. However, Coronet Peak, which is the local mountain to Queenstown, um, yeah. sold out on on the weekend when they when they opened. They were having one car in, one car out on their first night of of night skiing. They had two thousand people, oh no, three thousand people. But that doesn't sound like a lot when you're talking about. The Valet, but you know, it is a lot of people, 3000 in New Zealand. So, yeah, yeah I mean, your you know, tourism is shredded and decimated, and Australia has come off the back of the bushfire trauma. So, we came straight from the bushfire trauma into COVID. And I remember reporting on all of the resorts overseas closing. And with every report I did, which sometimes like three to four or five reports a day on my site, I was like, that's another nail in my coffin. My, you know, business coffin. Another now, another now, and that's how everybody feels in tourism right now. And until we can,
1: for sure. get some form of recovery.
2: Yeah, that,
1: you know, no, that's right. I mean, like I said, you know, in Europe there are, uh, you know, a number of positive signs. Uh, you know, you've got glaciers open in for uh, skiing in Austria and Switzerland and France at the moment, and trying to get that positive message uh, out there that it is it is possible to ski you know it's certainly with uh, restrictions uh, in place but getting people to understand that and what we do have an advantage in the uh, in the northern hemisphere is that we still have you know four five months until the ski season yeah, you do. Starts. You so do. there's plenty of time uh, for positivity and I think five months ago well five months ago was february you know things we've gone into uh, lockdown and you yeah. know, stuff. Or have come out of it in that period of time, and you know, the infection rates, uh, etc., in on the continent, uh, you know, we're very low, uh, so you know, I'm very positive, uh, mainly because I'm an optimist, and it's also Do you want
2: to go skiing,
1: right? You know, I don't want to go skiing, uh, as well. That, uh, about it's you know, hard,
2: though,
1: it's, uh, it's winter.
2: <laughs> Sorry, Ian, go on.
1: Well, uh, for the States, it might be a bit more uh, difficult because I think that you tend to, tend to spend quite a bit of time in the States in the northern uh, winter, is that yeah. right?
2: Yeah, I live in Park City normally in Utah oh. and um, that's my home base, but I came back to Australia for family reasons and then I ended up here for COVID and haven't been able to leave. Um, I think with the Northern Hemisphere and the fact that you were talking about keeping positive and remaining g up, we did a whole lot of stuff to try to keep people g up because we just didn't know if there was going to be a season. We ha- had a very short amount of time to decide if there was going to be one. Yeah. Um, and so you have to take your hats off to the resorts in Australia for actually getting it done. Um, I don't think there is any more, anybody more and more, um, I have to be careful here. Um, you know, like white, privileged, entitled skiers without a lift pass. They're angry, right? <laughs> but there's a lot more to be angry about than that in this yeah. world. But I think what it is, is we're all so highly triggered because we're all living in a traumatic state without realizing that that's what we're living in. Like everybody, people in the resorts, people trying to get a ticket, people trying to keep their business alive, somebody whose family, you know, got COVID and, and died, whatever, everybody is in a really traumatized state human situation in 2020 and the macro becomes micro and so therefore if you can't get a lift pass and you've got to wait 24 hours on a on a um, website oh my god it is akin to mm-hmm. like the worst thing in the entire planet that could possibly happen to you so so i'm, I'm writing a piece at the moment called dear everyone just take a breath because mm-hmm. it has been a disaster and it has also been joyous um, and I mean, the thing about knowing that we can actually go skiing has yeah. been joyous and, and the fact that resorts can open again. But I think America's going to be tough.
1: Yeah. On the joyous point of view, yeah. I have to say that I um, particularly enjoyed the uh, lockdown videos that you uh, arranged through social media. I mean, they were great. How did you? I mean, I guess you just asked people through the social channels uh, to, you know, put you together know... their clips, did you?
2: kind of so we there was a TikTok challenge i think which was uh, right. where i think you're wearing something and then you click your hands and you're wearing something else or something um i'm not really on TikTok. tock right. um, so we have we've got you yep. know we've got a huge facebook page following. we have seven facebook groups and we have instagram etc and you know where everybody was in lockdown everybody was at home we we in April, we reached 21 million people in one month on my social and, and our, our traffic to our site quadrupled because everybody was at home really bored. So yeah. everyone was also really worried about whether they'd ski again. And all those fantastic ski things were coming out. That guy that was climbing, you know, from the above, the flat lay with the sheets. Yeah. And, and that awesome guy in England who had the chairlift in his backyard and his kids. Amazing.
1: Oh, so, I interviewed another That's episode of the podcast actually what a top so guy really, really enjoyed talking uh, to him and he was just so kind of casual about the idea that he built a whole chairlift in his back garden and you're right so he had these viral videos particularly early on that oh, uh that and i
2: kept part. saying to people i tried a couple of things first one of the first yeah. things i tried was okay um Film yourself, film your Apre. And nobody really got into it. And I thought, like, oh, okay, let's try something else. So then, then I said, okay, well, I just gave them, I just gave them directions and I posted on every single one of our social things and it went off. I got like, when you see them, we had four of them. People were sitting yeah. in videos. One person created like the COVID shoots on their on their stairs, and they were going down on a on a snowboard on the COVID shoots on their stairs. Um, Somebody else was uh, in a swimming pool. Um, well, these guys were in a swimming pool there. A lot of people had tea bars in their lounge yeah. room. Yeah,
1: they're lots yeah. of fun. Those lots videos fun. are great. Uh, and, um, you know, well done for putting them together. And, and you know, just like giving you. people that positivity. Yeah, uh, you know, and the, and the chance to kind of in a period where everyone is kinda of like locked down, really frustrated, what you're talking about, to remind people that I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing the article that you're gonna uh, put together there about, you know, just like let's just chill out, Take and remember a deep who breath, we are. Jesus, <laughs> we're, we're
2: lucky to see a
1: privilege hey rachel I'd like to thank you for um giving up the time uh, uh, on the other side of the world and telling us a little bit about you know what's going on in the in the world of skiing in Australia and New Zealand and people um if they want to kind of find out more can go to uh snowsbest.com or miss at miss
2: just at miss snow on, on social we're at miss but um, snowsfest.com is our site, but you'll find us on social through the site anyway. It was so nice of you to invite me. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no worries. Well, uh, and you know, I know you're going to the States if all goes well this winter, but um, yeah, let us know if you're over in Europe. I
2: might might end up in Revelstoke, actually, for the winter. That's where I'd like to be, I think. Lovely,
0: cool. All right, thanks very much,
1: Rachel. Thanks,
0: Ian. Um, So um, let's just imagine, Ian, that someone has skipped through that interview or hasn't listened to it at all. can they go skiing down under now? What's going on? Can I ski down yeah,
1: under yeah. now? Yeah, I mean, you know, if they happen to be in New Zealand already, they can they can ski in New Zealand, um, you know, for sure. Uh, and you heard Rachel say there that you know they got the highest ever numbers for one of the night ski sessions there at um, Remarkables, I think that was. Um, but you can't travel into New Zealand um, otherwise. And in Australia, yeah, the resorts are open in Australia. You know, as she mentioned, you know, they've had some struggles in relation to snow. Their, their conditions haven't been that good. And also, since, you know, we chatted, Melbourne has kind of gone back into lockdown. And that's affecting, um, well, that's affecting the ability of people to, uh, to go skiing in places like Mount Buller. But, you know, it's still open there. And uh, they're going to extend their season uh, a little bit. Um, so, so yeah, you know, it's it's skiing is possible down there if you happen to be there. But if you're British, you can't go to either country right now.
0: It's a long way to go just to get turned around and sent home, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I'm going to do it. Well, uh, reviews, that's what's the next uh, thing on the list. Um, we must have had loads of reviews flooding in over the summer, I expect. Um Yeah, you'd
1: think so, wouldn't you? Because, you know, what else could people be doing during lockdown apart from sending us in reviews? But no, there are no new reviews on uh, iTunes. So, listener... This is a ski podcast there.
0: first. This is the first time there's been not a single review.
1: Uh, if you're sitting there, you know, listening to the uh, show, um, you pop onto iTunes and just give us a review, because it helps other people uh, uh, find us, and it gives us something to talk about in this segment. Otherwise, we wouldn't have anything to say. I mean, a couple of people said to me they really enjoyed that uh, Q&A with Graham Bell, but I'm not sure I can count them as, as like, proper reviews, because they're dislike people who I know
0: I did, I did bump into someone and they gave me a verbal review as well they said it was very good but um there was a section in it that um uh, they didn't agree with because you said it wasn't very good um, uh, and I said it was good but I think that's more of opinion really isn't it yeah, yeah. well that's what we want we want people's opinions so
1: so give us a review or you can go to our Facebook which is at the ski podcast or on Twitter at the ski podcast and and tell us what you think there as well
0: But on the bright side, by not reviewing us, um, it means the podcast will probably finish five minutes earlier. So that's five minutes more for you to do whatever you like. You could potentially write a review in that five minutes. Think about that. Cool.
1: So we'll be the next time we're back. I'll be talking about uh, uh, SASFA and it will be kind of early August and then we'll probably take a break through August until uh, until September time.
0: Well, I say Ian, it's sad news, though, isn't it? That's um, there is sad news because I next the next episode is going to be my last episode. Yeah, I know it, it is. I'm only I'm only saying it now because I want at least one sympathy card saying, "Well, we we'll miss you." <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it in the episode then never come back and not have at least some person say, um, you, "We want you to stay." Or,
1: yeah, after or almost uh, three years um, of you know, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, our. Podcast together, but are you going to go
0: on to um, pastures new, right? Yeah, why not? Um, I'll think about that in the next few weeks. Um, but let's not get gushing now, Ian. Um, I will have, uh, hopefully, I've been trying to set up. I had an email about someone who wanted us to talk about skiing in Germany, and I've been desperately trying to talk to someone about it, but in a complete um, spin on what you would expect um, the German. Tourist board to be ruthless efficiency of uh, what they built their name on. Um, I'm being passed around the houses, and I've uh, been uh, spoken to at least ten people on email, and still not managed to nail down a single one to do an interview about it. But that hopefully will come um, before the next interview. And also, when I was on um uh, Dave Burroughs didn't come with me. Um, he was going to, but he didn't in the end. But he did set me three challenges, um, and I've done um, a little bit of a podcast about that as well, so you can have
1: that. In the next oh, okay. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. Well, thanks very much for today.
0: Well, I'll see you then, mister. Have a nice time. Enjoy your screen,